0: you are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast, to learn more about CRCC including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. Freeze frame is simply this concept. So if we're not careful, we're running so far, so fast in life that we don't stop long enough to see where we're going. And it's kind of the old school freeze tag game where you, somebody would hit you and you had to stop. And not only do we want you to stop, but we want you to stop, take a picture, and examine that picture to say, is this what I want? Is this the direction I want to go? Are these the things that I want to be a part of my life and to make some adjustments? And we've been focusing on that all summer long. And so now we're going to start making that transition where I'm going to give you kind of the last three weeks, the last three messages of this series is going to be the applicable stage. And the thing that hit me the most was a quote that I came across this week that I want to share with you. And just want you to think about this. This is extremely powerful. If you are any person that is in leadership, desiring leadership— or have anybody in your life that mimics you, a.k.a. parents, listen to these words. Are you ready? I came across this in my personal study, and it just kind of sent me on a tailspin, and I want to spend a little bit of time on it actually next week, but I need to introduce it this week so that this week's message will make sense, and it says this. Leaders do not chase success. They lead others to succeed. When your success supersedes the success of those you lead, you become king on a hill, obsessed with those trying to knock you off. Can I read that again to make sure you catch it? Leaders do not chase success, they lead others to succeed. When your success supersedes the success of those you lead, you become king on a hill obsessed with those trying to knock you off you know we're actually going to dive into that and i got a message i've got prepared for next week but i want to go ahead and give that to you this week because it's going to help this week's message make sense but the concept is number one if, if all you're consumed with is success then i'm going to ask you one simple question how do you define success Because if that's what you're consumed with, then the way you define success is going to have a really big deal towards what you're pursuing. And then if you're so consumed with your own success, you will find yourself. This isn't a, well, maybe, I'm telling you. You will find yourself constantly be consumed with the people that you feel like are trying to knock you off or to supersede your success, to steal your success. In America, now don't mishear me on this. This is not a political statement. But this thought process is really the the heart behind what drives capitalism. It's everybody trying to go out and and to succeed. And unfortunately, sometimes for people to succeed, it means some other people may not have been as successful. But it depends on how you define that. So I want to try to, before we get into next week's message define that concept today with one simple question not how do you define success but what do you want like what drives you you know the older you get it's not as much about the what, but you still want something now for all my 20s and early 30s man you need to pull out your phone you need to get ready to take some notes I'm fixing to give you guys some stuff out of God's word that's not me, it's God. that I'm telling you, if I'd have known this at age 20, it would be different. You say, how would it be different? Well, it wouldn't be any different with who I'm with because Amy Lou was my major success. But it would be different in the things that I would pursue. Because you start realizing that there's a major fine line between the things that you want and then where those things that you want lead you towards the other things that you want. So to help that make a little bit more sense, I wrote down just a few things, okay? Three things. Three things that I think everybody, no matter what age you're at, you would say, you know, what? yeah, I'll, this is some things I want. And it may not be a thing, but these, these premises, these truths are there. Number one, the first thing I want you to write down is, is one of the things that you're going to see very, very quickly is that you want, Your way. Like, you may not have a thing in mind, but for most people, you know what they want when they're thinking about life, when they're thinking about success, when they're thinking about where they're going, when they're thinking about leadership, when they're thinking about God's will in their life, when they're looking at that picture, that freeze frame, and you're trying to to decide what you want in there, one of the things that you're going to find very quickly is that, you know what you want? You want your way. There's a problem, though. There's a major problem. because see, not only do you want your way, but the problem with that is is when you get your way, you usually don't end up with what you want. Isn't that amazing how that works? Like you want your way, but if you get your way all the time, you know what you end up with? something you don't want. So how does that work? How do I leverage life and leverage God's word in my life and leverage God's purposes in my life so that I get what I want, not to end up with something that I said, you know what, I don't want this. Because if you get your way all the time, then you're going to find yourself sitting in a seat. All of us older ones in the room can testify to this. Going, wow, I have gotten everything that I've ever wanted. The problem is, is I, that's not what I want. The second thing that I think that everybody in this room will agree with is not do you want your way, but we want to do what we want to do. Not only do we want our way, but we want to do what we want to do. Problem. If you always do whatever you want to do, then you're going to end up being somewhere you don't want to be. You say, Mickey, give me an example, okay? It's called the American judicial system. Think about that for a minute. As you get older... You know, there's kind of a a stage in life. My boys are at this stage. I have two amazing boys that live with me. The reality is is I can't make them do anything. They're two grown men. Praise the Lord they love their daddy. Because if not, it'd be like two alpha walruses on the same island trying to see who's going to last. And unfortunately for them, at some point they'd have to go to sleep. And that's when I would win. And I would really take it to them. And I joke around with my boys, and I'm like, listen, you will probably whoop your old man at this point, but the first two minutes will be the worst two minutes of your life. But if you can get past those first two minutes, you got me. But for two minutes, I'm as good as I ever was, baby. But we laugh about that, but the older you get, you can't really make anybody do anything, can you? Like, isn't that the tough part with parenting teenagers? Like, if you're a teenager, plug your ears for a second. You don't need to know this secret. But when you have a teenager, you start realizing, you know, I really can't make them do anything. And so what do you do? You say, well, I can't make them do anything, but what I can do is I can keep them from doing something. And that's how our society works. You know what? Yeah, you can go out here and do whatever you want to do, and there's nobody that can stop you from doing it. But what they can do is they can take away your ability to do other things, a.k.a. Bradley County Jail. You want to do whatever you want to do? That's fine. So we're going to put you in a place where you no longer have the freedom to choose whatever you want to do. Why? Because when you choose to do whatever you want to do, you find yourself in a place that you don't want to be. And then the third thing, the third truth that I wrote down that I think is pretty, pretty substantial, is not only do we want our way, not only do we want to do what we want to do, but we want perplexual pleasure. Now, I hate to put it that way because I know what everybody in this room is thinking. And I'm not talking about sex. But there are things that are in our life that bring us pleasure. And not only do we want to do what we want to do and we want to be able to do those things always our way. But we want those things to have perpetual pleasure. In other words, to always be something that we are gaining some sort of pleasure for. There's one problem with that. Perpetual pleasure is the root of addiction. Anything that gives you perpetual pleasure can end up being an addiction in your life, no matter what it is. It could be something that, that is a, a drug, it could be something that is a substance. It could be something that is simple as fishing and golf. Because here's what happens. perpetual pleasure hits a point that you can actually do it so much that it loses the pleasure that you once got from it. So therefore, you want to do it more and more and more and more, which means you end up having an addiction. Then you end up having an addiction that's driving, trying to get you this pleasure that you can no longer get. And so now, all of a sudden, now you have an addiction trying to get the pleasure, but now the pleasure is controlling you. And we can fill up this room, we can fill up this city with people that are in situations that because they were chasing what they wanted, they hit a point where this aspect of perpetual pleasure hit them to the point where now they are being controlled out of this concept of trying to find that, that sensory motor, that woo-hoo moment, those endorphins popping in their brain that tell them, wow, this is good. I've talked to a lot of drug addicts over the years, and they would tell you, the biggest thing that got them into an addiction is they were trying to go to what that first experience was like. And they were chasing it. You say, Mickey, is that what we're talking about today? No, that's not what we're talking about. What I'm trying to figure out is, so, with all that being said, so, what do you want? Here's the last thing i tell you. You say, well, Mickey, I, I don't really know what I want. I mean, like, all those things sound great. Those three little truths, I understand, I get that, but that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But here's what I do know. I don't know what I want, but what I do want, I want it right now. I want it right now. There's a problem with that one as well. Because the issue with wanting it right now is that when we get what we want today, it's not always what we want it tomorrow. Like all of a sudden, like today, we're like, man, I want this. And then we step in tomorrow and we want something and we can't have it because we're paying for what we wanted yesterday. Let me give you an example. It's called buyer's remorse. Anybody ever spend a big chunk of something? And you fell into that trap of, hey, you can have a whole new house full of furniture. You don't have to pay for it for like 18 months. And you're like, baby, this is awesome. Give me all that. I want, in fact, I want two of them. Yeah, I was just going to come in with the cloth, but now I want the full leather. I want the cherry wood. I want the little railing around my I mean, I want all of them. You're like, this is awesome. And for 18 months, it's the greatest thing ever. And all of a sudden, then this little thing comes in the mail and says, okay, your bill's due. And you're going, I don't want this stuff anymore. Now I want to go to the beach. But you're talking to your spouse saying, well, but we can't go to the beach. Why? Well, because we got, we got to pay for all this stuff we bought. See, this concept of what I'm talking about, introducing today's message, the power of this, this question of, of what do you want, what do you, what do you really want, is really what I'm talking about is the aspect of regret. Like, as you look at your life, as you pause and take a picture, and you look at what's going on, the aspect of what you want, what you desire, where your passions is, will end up being the, the volume button to regret in your life. In fact, can I give you three definitions that I wrote down as far as regret? Because re- regret really does begin with, I want, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Most regrets in my life, I can't talk about you, i talk about me. Most regrets in my life started with I want blank. And then later on, I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I did. Because I'm getting what I want. But the problem is, is that I get what I want, but I don't have what I want. Because there's something that I still want. But I keep getting what I want, but it ends up wanting me to want more. And now, I, now I'm just stuck. Because now the things I want I can't get because of what I want I have. And that's trapped me where I can't no longer get what I want. Here's the way I had to find it with regret. Are you ready? Three definitions of regret. You see if this fits you. I would love to go back and not get what I wanted. Anybody ever lived that? Second, regret is getting what you wanted, but not really having what you want. And then the last definition I wrote down, regret is the elimination of options. It's the inability to go back and get what you want because you got what you wanted. You say, Mickey, what's the point? Here's the point. Listen to me. Whenever you get your way, you will find yourself in the way which in return distorts your way. See, this concept of, of wanting, because now we've spent seven weeks taking a picture, looking at where we're at, seeing what we're going towards, saying, hey, here's what I'd like to see, here's what I'd like to be. But the question is, is, is there's a major part of us that has to be extremely careful because what you are longing for, what you are wanting may just maybe entrap you from being everything that God wants you to be in your tomorrow I believe that's why scripture says do not worry about tomorrow for today has enough trouble of its own but this aspect of warning is actually very much in God's word if you have your phone if you're on an iPad if you have your Bible wherever you're at turn to James we're going to be in the book of James it's towards the end of the New Testament we're going to read three verses right at the beginning of chapter four now but while you're turning there let me kind of give you a concept of what's going on a lot of people don't understand really what's happening when we say turn to James because you're just like oh yeah that, that's that small book towards the end of the New Testament I want you to understand James was the brother of Jesus so just think for a minute if I told you we have a letter from the brother of Jesus, who lived with him, was there while he was growing up, who understood him more than anything. He was his brother, his family member, and he's going to give you some insight into who Jesus was and what Jesus stood for. I think most of us say, oh, buddy, where's that letter at? I want to read it. Well, guess what? That's what you're turning to. And the amazing thing about James is guess what, he wasn't a disciple, he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't a follower of Christ in the beginning. Now, he was his brother, but honestly, he probably thought Jesus was just as crazy as some of the other people. He probably grew up and went like, yeah, really, man? It wasn't until after Jesus' death and resurrection that James truly got on board and understood, because of who Jesus truly was, that he was who he said he was. And it's from that perspective that he writes these words. Listen to this. Talking about this aspect of what we want, I mean, this is so good because, listen, here's what I want you to go. Most of us do not know what we really want because we are distracted by what we really want. Like all my 20s and early 30s, I know right now you're going, man, Mickey. this doesn't make any sense. I don't, because, I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff I want. Yes, I know. You are know, like, the reason why I say 20s and early 30s it's because from age about 33 to about 39 or 40, those seven years are the years you're going to pay for what you wanted in your 20s. In your early 30s, you're going to keep trying to like keep doing it. But all of a sudden, it's something about that like 33-year age that all of a sudden it's like, boop, and you realize, oh, wow, somebody's got to pay for this. Whether it be my actions, whether it be changing my lifestyle, whether it be paying off some stuff, whatever it may be. Like, a lot of people get into different situations. I wonder how many people have ever said this. Boy, if I could go back, I wouldn't have said yes to blank. If I would have known how big of a deal what I thought I wanted would be in keeping me today from what I really want, man... I would have delayed my gratification on this so that I could obtain this. Listen to what James says about your wants. James chapter four, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's just asking a question. And then listen to what he says. Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. Some translations will say desires Some translations will say your wants. James is literally saying, what causes this struggle within you? And then he gives you the answer. That struggle that's in you, these fights, these quarrels, these things that are coming up, you know what it's built through? It's built because of your passions, your desires, your wants. See, the things that you want will direct a lot of your actions, which in turn make up your life. Like, I would love to sit down sometimes with some of our our elderly people because they they have a great perspective. That's what makes grandparents so cool. You ever notice grandparents, they'll sit down with a child, and the parents are kind of like, you know, I mean, I, I did this. I got five kids. You know, I've joked around about this before. You know, poor Easton, you know, he'd drop a passy on the ground, and it's, like, delayed. We're, like, boiling water. We're sterilizing everything. May even throw it away. We're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Brynn drops a pasty on the ground. I pick it up, lick it myself, stick it back in her mouth. True story. Sitting at a middle school, watching my son play basketball, my youngest child, well, not my youngest, but Ellie, comes to me in the stands, chewing gum. And I'm looking at Amy. I was like, hey, I'd I like a piece of gum. She's like, I ain't got no gum. And I was like, well, where'd Ellie get that gum? And I like... There's a bunch of it back here on this poll. True story. You say, what did you do? Uh, besides about to have a heart attack? But it was great, so I told her to share a little bit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, you, you know, like if that would have been my first child, I literally, we'd have been like going to the emergency room. You know, we're going to be calling the CDC. Oh my goodness, my child has picked up some already been chewed gum on the back of this post at this middle school and is chewing, like, but at that point we're like, Ellie, don't do that, spit that out. I mean, we go from sterilizing anything that hits the ground to like, 30 second rule, just pick it up and eat it. I'm not cooking you another one. Why? Because our life has a way of changing and temperamenting us, doesn't it? That's what he's talking about. He says, your passions, your desires, your wants have a way of driving the things you're consumed with and what you fight and what you quarrel about. James is not writing this to a specific group. He's actually just writing this to the church, probably the Jerusalem church. But he's writing it to all Christians. He's saying, guys, what are you fighting about? What are you quarreling about? He says, I know what you're quarreling. It's about your passions. It's about your desires. It's about your wants. I'm not going to make a big statement because this isn't the platform to do this. We're going to center on God's word. But is there anything more evident right now in our society than a group of people that are trying to go after what they want and they think everybody should want the same thing? We call that the election. And in November, everybody's trying to leverage what they want. And I wonder if come August of next year, if depending on how everything works out, and I'm not choosing which side, if people are going to say, wow, I mean, I thought that's what I wanted, but this really didn't work out like I wanted. Because I have a tendency to live in a constant state of regret because I'm so consumed with getting my passions and desires that I'm obtaining those things, but I'm losing the option to get the things that I need and want. Can I keep reading? Verse 2. James still speaking. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then listen to verse verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own. Passions, or own your desires, or own your wants. If you have an NIV, your translation is. In fact, I wrote it down just so I make sure to read it correctly. The NIV says it this way: "You ask with wrong motives." You see, Mickey, what do you think about that? That's actually a terrible translation, literally of this. The way this reads in the ESV is a better, correct interpretation because there's not a Greek phrase that we can really translate into the English it's not about asking with the wrong motives it's the fact that you just simply ask wrongly or another translation literally from it would be you ask badly see there's a concept here that listen to me if you're not careful your wants will mislead you 90 percent of the time I believe that's one of the reasons why the divorce rate is through the roof. Because your want, if you just base it on your wants, it will mislead you a lot. I believe that's why so many people are in financial stress. Because they don't have an ability to control their wants. It's this aspect of perpetual pleasure. The great new car, which I have nothing, no problem with it. You know, if you can go get all of them you want, but not to the detriment of something bigger. Not to the detriment of locking yourself down in the future. Not to the detriment of getting to a point where you can't get some of the things that you want because you got the things that you wanted. Hey, don't mishear me. I am not anti consumerism, but what I am is I'm anti self gratification. I want you to think about what James is talking about when he says this last verse in verse 3. Listen to it very carefully. He says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. Is it possible? Is it possible? That God has empowered you through a personal relationship with Christ to literally unlock the blessings of what he has for you in your life through an obedience and a relationship with him and through learning how to ask for things that he also desires for you. Like maybe the reason why we don't sometimes see God move in the way we want to see him move in our lives is because we're asking wrongly or we're asking badly for things that God's saying you know what as much as you want that I'm God and I see a bigger picture and I promise that's not what you want can I give you an example I mean quoting the amazing theologian Garth Brooks you know, in there are times that we thank God for unanswered prayers. We're like, Lord, I mean, at the time, I really thought that, man, are you not up there? Are you not listening? And he's like, oh, no, I'm hearing you loud and clear. And trust me, my ways are higher than your ways. My desires for you are higher than your desires for yourself. And though you think everything hinges on this, I promise, I am setting you up not for you to get just what you want for today, but for you to get to the end of this life and look back at your entire life and say, wow, now that's what I wanted. So the question is, well, Mickey, that's a whole lot of warning. So how do you decide if, if, if what you're wanting is what you really want? Well, I think that's a realm that we don't visit very much, is it? Like, most of the time we do get very distracted because our, our, our want inside of us is, is such a, a very typical, really quick, like, self-gratification. I need it right now. But I think there's a realm that Jesus teaches us. But it's the last part of John 10.10. 10. Like, if you want to understand truly what Jesus desires for you and what you want, you can use him as an example. Jesus was a great example of, of what he wanted. You know what Jesus wanted? He didn't want to be the king of kings. He didn't want to get proven. He didn't have to prove to anybody what the truth was. He just simply stated the truth. He said, I am the truth. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. But then there was, his whole purpose was summed up at the end of John chapter 10, verse 10. He said this. Here's what Jesus wanted. He said, I came so that you could have life. I mean, think about that. The God creator of this world, who has the ability to have whatever he wants, because he's created anything that you could possibly want. And you know what he came into this world? He wanted one major thing. He wanted you to have life. And if you keep reading, he says, not just a life, but he said, I want you to have life and have life more abundantly See, he wants you to look at that picture and at age 40 not see a a limitation of options he wants you to look at that picture and not look and see all the regret he wants you to look at that picture and as things are happening in your life even though things could come that are just terrible things to say you know what even though this is not what i would choose My God's big enough to define my circumstances rather than my circumstances defining me. And I'm just going to tell you guys, you don't get there. You don't get there by self-gratifying yourself constantly with what you want. In fact, I would tell you, you say, Mickey, I understand what you're saying, but I don't know how to really get to the, what I truly want in my life. Like, I understand what you're saying, but there are some things I want. Like, I want a house. I want to be married. I want to have children. I want to have a family. I want to be financially stable. I want to have, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They just can't be your greatest one. And so here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a little exercise. Today, as we close, you got a little bit of homework this week. And you're like, I ain't doing this. That's fine. It ain't no big deal. But for those of you that are actually wanting to say, you know what, as we get to the end of this summer, I want to do more than just have a cool little summer series. Like, ooh, isn't that great? We played little 80s music. We had a ball. We shot off fireworks. Isn't this great? Wonderful. Like, you want to actually move forward. Like, one of the things that you want Is you want to be growing in your spiritual life and moving forward towards Christ, I want to help you identify the things that you want. It's a very simple exercise that I call the funeral exercise. And here's all I want you to do. Take some time this week, take you a piece of paper, take you a pencil, and ask yourself this question. What is it I want people to say about me at my funeral? What do I want my spouse to say? What do I want my children to say? What do I want my coworkers to say? What do I want my neighbors to say? What do I want my community to say? Do you know I've done this, and you know what I didn't find on that list? Boy, I want them to talk about my house. Boy, I tell you, I want them to talk about my toys. None of that stuff was there. Even though that stuff makes life fun. But the things that end up being there just jumped off the page and made me start to realize, you know what? Here's the things that I really want. And so because those are the things I wanted in my life, I started changing my life and the things I was pursuing. Do you know it was from that and through some other things with my daughter Brynn That all of a sudden, after 25 years in student ministry, I looked at my wife, and she very respectfully, a little bit anxious, said, yes, we will move from student ministry into no job, no income, and plan a church. Why? Because I was running the rat race that we call church ministry, and I realized that's not what I Want it. Can I ask you a question? And I'll be done. I think God's word speaks very clear. But here's how I wrote it down in my notes. One simple question. Let me read a phrase and then I want to ask you this question. You will never get what you really want until you discover what you truly value. See, I think the issue that we run into is that we value things that aren't worth really any value, I think what Scripture is talking about is is why chase after these things that will rust or fade, that will be destroyed, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. But then here's the way I put it in one simple question: Are you living to give life or to get it? Are you living to give life? Or are you living just to get it? You say, Mickey, can you do both? It's extremely tough. But we believe at Crossroads that God's called us to be life-giving. In fact, that's, that's our simple purpose. If you're a guest of us today, you need to know, here, here, here's our whole, like, What, what you, one simple thing. We exist to be life-giving in our community. We do not want to be so self-consumed that we're always about getting our own. We want to be life-giving. You say, Mickey, how do y'all do that? Well, we do it through four things. We want to help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. But that's the question as we start to transition out of this series. Like as you stopped and looked at your picture. And you start saying, oh, but there's some things that aren't in my picture. Or, or there's some things I don't really like that are in the picture. Oh, Mickey, you don't understand. My picture's so jacked up. Like, like decisions I've made because of the things that I've wanted. The things I want in my picture, I can't even go get them because, because I've spent it on the things. That, like I have consequences. I have, listen to me. There is nowhere in God's word that he ever says, you have to stop. God is the God of rejuvenation. He can take any situation, and with a repentant heart, a turning away from getting your own desires and a turning towards him, he has a way, as scripture says, that he can work all things for the good for those who are loved and called by his name. See, the problem is is that you're still trying to do it. And God's saying, hey, listen to me. Why don't you let me be in charge? You be life-giving, and I will be the giver of life. Because after all, I came so that you would have life and have life more abundantly. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.